0: Welcome to Backsliding to Glory, a progressive Christian podcast and community. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. Welcome to Backsliding to Glory. We are your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Megan and we are backsliding to glory and uh, we, we backslid right into a little hiatus we didn't tell anybody about. Yeah. Um, good Good reasons though. Lots of good reasons stacked on top of each other. First and foremost, there was a storm. Uh, there was a, a tornado that came through my hometown, which I believe we mentioned just in passing, but it, it or maybe I've posted about it on social media, but it, it was pretty significant actually. Mm-hmm. And not only millions of dollars of damage, but you know, hundreds of homes that, uh, have have really, and hundreds of families obviously, thousands of families in fact, that have had their lives pretty irreparably altered. Uh, now the good news is that in general this is a fairly affluent area and the we really showed up the town really showed up Uh, a huge volunteer turnout in the days immediately following the city responded in a fabulous way uh and you know restored the power grid completely in in about three or four days five days i think total um but it was for like 70 percent of the City's power grid. It was a complete rebuild, not a repair. But like the, the, we had to put in a new pole and new lines and the whole nine yards. So it was a tremendous amount of damage done to the whole town. The infrastructure of the town was hit pretty hard. Um, and one of the downsides of that was that we couldn't record. None of my machinery worked here without power or internet, of course. Um, So that put us off for a couple of days. And then the next week, I was behind on work so much because of the storm that we we sort of pushed it off again. And then, Megan, you had... And we knew this was coming. This was on the calendar for a while. We didn't expect it to sort of creep up on us in the midst of the storm and the recovery and things. But but you had a exciting adventure that kept us out another week or so too. Um, tell us where. Tell everybody where you went.
1: Yeah, I just got back from Cuba. Um, my church, First Presbyterian of Lafayette, has a sister church in Sabanilla, uh, Matanzas Province, Cuba. And has had this sister church relationship for a couple decades. Um, And we went down to help them put in a water filtration system. Their town does not have clean water. It doesn't have any municipal water source. And people have wells, and the wells are 100% contaminated. Um, So, yeah, we took down the stuff. Uh, We're uh, partners with an ecumenical, though started by the uh, Presbyterian ministry, um, organization called Living Waters for the World, which if you have a church that's looking for something to do that is sort of mission but not, uh, it's neither conversional nor short-term. It's a long-term relationship building kind of thing. Uh, it's a good one. I super duper recommend it.
0: So I, I I'm so excited to talk through this like fairly in depth, b- yeah. Because first first and foremost, this is not your first trip to to Cuba, right? No,
1: we went in November um, to sort of uh, lay the the rails for this trip, um, and we kind of sped along this trip because there are some concerns about uh, the visa process with Cuba and whether or not. Um, Trump has cut a couple of the visa categories uh is increasing the um he he's tightening the embargo um, Obama had loosened it slightly um, so Trump's tightening it back up and so we were worried we would not actually get visas to do uh <laughs> religious service work um, which is absurd and I will happily rant about that for a bit but uh but the point is we we kind of sped things along and went as soon as we could to make sure they got this um, so that we could bring in all the pump parts and all this stuff, so, yeah.
0: So let's start, why don't we start with the some of the diplomatic side of things mm. because the this is a story actually that I was, very interested in. I, I first heard about it, I guess, in a big way. I mean, I heard when there was the announcement made, hey, we're going to roll back some of the embargo and we're going to loosen some of the uh, strings that we have wrapped around Cuba's neck here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was a cool move, I thought, that Obama made towards yeah. the end of his presidency. But I really understood it when um, there was a an episode of I think it was Pod Save America where they talked to the specific member of Obama's team. It was sort of a junior member really early on in the administration that was tasked with, hey, let's look into what could we do with Cuba? You know, mm-hmm. like I, I want to make this situation better. I don't know uh, as, you know, this is Obama speaking. I don't know what all the entanglements are and what all the the, the fallout would be if I made a big change. So do some homework. Tell me, what are our options and what could we do that would actually make a difference for those people there and for Americans as well? and for american industry too like that's another thing this yeah. is a this was a great trade partner of ours once upon a time yeah. we've spent several generations now apart from them with this you know imaginary wall built between us and we've forgotten that but once upon a time this was a great market for our goods as well as a a, a great opportunity for workers and 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 goods to import and all sorts of opportunities for cultural exchange dollars and cents y'all mm-hmm. never mind morality mm-hmm um but the it was outlined like the process the ongoing like negotiations that it took frankly it took ill health too on the part mm-hmm. of the leader you know the the yep. fall of castro really yep. is what led to the sort of beginning of of warming negotiations and like the ability for this to even make a move you said though that the church has had a relationship going back decades so what did that look like in a time where You know, only the criminals had (laughs) cigars.
1: (laughs) So, um, there have been religious visas, uh, for quite some time. The thing was that there weren't commercial flights. Um, so you could, you could take chartered flights to go visit Cuba and, and get a religious visa. Um, and that's, uh, how they did it. I think there was only, it was mostly via mail though, or, and via, you know, um, sort of paper communications. But I do know that that a small group from Sabania actually came to Lafayette at one point because um, at least one member of that group is still alive. Her name is Mercedes, and she is... Oh, I don't want to get it wrong, but I, she's she's about 90. Um, and she's a retired chemistry professor and uh, total, like, just one of those people who you're like, wow, you are incredible. So... <clears throat> she's still there. And she drank the first glass of water from our clean water system.
0: That's beautiful. It was awesome. That's, that's well, and it's like, I mean, it's it, it reminds me of the parable of, you know, a society will thrive when old men plant trees they'll never sit in the shade of. You know, yeah. she planted a relationship. She was part of the early stages of the relationship between yeah. your church and hers, your community and hers. And here she is in the, twilight of her life getting to enjoy literal uh, fruits in some ways Mm -hmm. um you Mm -hmm. know uh, so let's talk then about let's move to the needs of cuba you know when i was growing up especially cuba might as well have been like sub-saharan africa or Mm -hmm. something it was Mm -hmm. a place that was obviously without any um anything to offer the rest of the world First of all, Mm -hmm. I was Mm -hmm. sure that that was the case, right? And more than that, uh, it was a place that had chosen a dictator. That was the Mm -hmm. other thing in my mind. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. was a place that they got what they deserved. (laughs) It's terrible there, and they asked for it. That's what I had in my mind as a child growing up in, you know, North Louisiana in the 80s and the 90s. Here, especially, you know, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years after what, began as i now understand really in many ways a people's revolution there Mm -hmm. is a reason why that conception of they chose it is out there because in many ways they're in some ways they did but but what they chose is not what they got and now what they have is not what they had either Mm -hmm. so what is the status of the cuban people and what do they need what are they asking for uh what do they want from communities like ours
1: Well, you know, it's uh, an island of what, six million people, I think. So I think they probably have six million different stories. Um, But uh, the people I talked to, which was a fairly broad range of people in a fairly specific place um, over the past couple of trips and and in between, um, because we do have communication with them um, via WhatsApp and other, you know, even Facebook, um, when they can get internet, they don't have great internet service so they uh they have lots of problems and they're after the soviet union fell they um the soviet union had been their only real trading partner for a bit um so they had what they call now they refer to it as the special period they had you know major food shortages um And there's a lot of talk right now that because of Trump, they're going into a new special period. And many people say it looks already like it's going to be worse than the last one. Um, So hopefully we can, at the very least, find ways to convince our leaders that uh, they're actually human. And perhaps uh, trading food with them will not uh, hurt us in any way. That sort of thing. So there are food shortages already. Um, we actually brought a lot of our own food so that so as to not be a burden. Um, and I would definitely recommend looking into that if you are considering any mission work there or or service work or just a visit. Um, yeah, they they have excellent education, uh, pretty good health care. They have universal health care, but they don't have like syringes and IV bags and uh, medicine. <laughs> So they have all these doctors and all these hospital beds and nothing to actually do for a person. Um, So that's a challenge. It's just, you know, embargoes hurt vulnerable people. They don't hurt the government. If anything, they make people more dependent on on an authoritarian government in a way. You know, if, if our goal with the embargo is to get people to overthrow the government and reinstate Bacardi as the corporate leader... Um, it's not going to happen because the government controls the rice and the chicken. So people are gonna, you know, not go out of their way to disrupt uh, the their source of food um, is my general read on it. I think if we if we really want to increase freedom in the world, um, you know, I think increasing uh, actual interaction is a better way to
0: do it. I think you're a hundred percent right. And even as a even as a kid, even as that conservative kid, and I'm telling you that that story that vision that I had of Cuba or that I understood of Cuba, Mm -hmm. this was in a world where we had very specifically been told the opposite was true about China, right? China was Uh also this dictatorial regime, but the only way we were ever going to get them to see the light was by engaging, was by interacting as a culture, was by sharing our goods and services, by buying their goods and services, et cetera, et cetera. And and that made perfect sense. You know why? Because mm-hmm. it's true and yeah. it's worked and yeah. China is a lot – I mean China has a lot of things and China has a lot of issues. But China totally. is infinitely more open and transparent and uh, you know, socially um, upwardly mobile for their individual citizens than it was 20, 30 years ago totally. when you and I totally. were children. So At least they're like,
1: individual citizens who
0: aren't Muslims in Yeah, very true. Very, you're right. They are doubling down in many. But see, I again, that is a sign. That is a sign. I think that they are losing control in other ways. Because they are grasping on to the last, you know, vestiges of their ability to restrain their society. Absolutely. And I think that's what we see in our own culture too. Right. Mm -hmm. We see the patriarchy, and uh, in particular, the the white patriarchy, the, the the Caucasian patriarchy struggling mm-hmm. as they see their own demise. Yeah, yeah, and, and desperate and
1: death rattling.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I read a slightly disconnected, but it but it is very much in the same vein of those death throes. I read an article this morning uh I can't remember the author's name and I don't want to give him the publicity anyway. But the headline <laughs> was um The SBC should say no more to Beth Moore.
1: (laughs) Oh, I saw this come through the timeline.
0: It was it was actually a well written argument for what is a terrible theological position. (laughs) Uh huh. uh -huh. (laughs) You know, Uh, but he he praised and hailed the resurgence of conservatism in the SBC and Mm -hmm. talked about how they purged out the liberal you know throws once upon a time and how every Southern Baptist church should you know commemorate that moment and I'm just like wow how can two people you and I sitting and looking at the exact same set of events see it so drastically differently Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so first of all how much damage could Trump do when you say, you know, the Cuban people see a return to those times of trouble again, mm-hmm. that, was, that was a generation, that was multiple presidents that had maintained this very strict embargo from literally the brinks of potential war. For most of that time period, we were still under the, uh, you know, ongoing threat of the Cold War becoming a hot war. Mm-hmm. And then even after the the death of the soviet union the fall of the soviet union um again i think the political climate well anyway my, my question is this it strikes me as like trump's done a lot of damage and i see firsthand some of the damage that he's done in our own country is it really possible that in just you know three or four more years he could do that much more uh and how how bad could that get? I mean, I guess he could completely shut off the island again.
1: Yeah, so one of the things he did... Um, there are a couple things that are big. Um, but one of the things is that he has capped remittances, which means people can only send now uh, $1,000 every... I forget if it's every three months or every four months um, to their relatives in Cuba. Um, remittances from the U.S. have are to some degree, kind of a lifeblood of the Cuban economy. They don't really have much as far as goods. They don't have much to sell. Um, So just basically just cash coming in from elsewhere is what kind of keeps them going, Um, which is obviously a problem. And, And you get, it's very interesting. I had some discussions with younger Cubans who totally, they totally have the same like millennial versus boomer thing. Like our parents screwed everything up. (laughs) just in a different way um so but the the lack of remittances is going to be what really hurts because it it means that no money will flow in which means that they won't have any way to buy goods from the countries that will trade with them because right now because nobody will give them credit anymore because it's sort of well known that cuba just doesn't have anything you know they have some sugar but the international sugar market has plummeted since american corn took over um tobacco international tobacco use has plummeted that's about it you know there's a little coffee but it's not it's not a country that's producing a lot um should it be producing more yeah i kind of think so i mean i i think so i i i self-identify as a democratic socialist so i don't have like strong anti-socialist feelings but i will say that that despite the fact that the Cuban people are individually incredibly innovative. Like, I mean, they don't have anything, right? So they just figure out how to fix what they've got with what they've got. And, you know, like every toilet in the country is held together with a couple of clips and some dental floss. Um, and, you know, you see all those old cars. It's like, yeah, they're like 58 Plymouths running like a Daewoo lawnmower engine. I mean, it's, it's. It's wild how innovative they are. But then you don't see a lot of the same innovation on a macro scale. You don't see them uh, – there's not a lot of agricultural innovation. Um, they're not growing hemp. They. I mean it's like that's, why aren't you that's growing the,
0: hemp? That's what jumped out to me. So you you said tobacco, international tobacco. And I said, why isn't Cuba like the leader in marijuana production?
1: Why Right? Indeed. Like
0: why aren't they growing cannabis in – Massive scale. I mean, I would think that there would be basically zero, like, cultural issues. Like, in America, for instance, Louisiana should also be a a giant cannabis producer, but we have a cultural, like, moral bias against that. So, there's a reason why. Yeah, we only
1: have... We only have drive-through daiquiri Shacks. Right, our right. Morality.
0: Well, so okay. And the other day we we they voted down in committee sports gambling, right? Which right. L- listen, I'm not a big like I'm not a big proponent of sports gambling, but I immediately thought of we have drive-through Dackery shops. Yeah. Like, what is wrong with us as a state? We also were the first state in the South to do gambling. Period. We've had lotto for a, for a hundred years. It feels like. Like, what is the difference between? Buying my scratch off ticket and putting five dollars on the Steelers. I don't get it, but okay, whatever. But so, th- so I understand why Louisiana hasn't jumped on the the cannabis bandwagon, for instance. But like, mm-hmm. that's one thing that strikes me for Cuba. Like, a forward thinking government would see the winds of change internationally and go. Our whole island could be like just rolling in this. Yeah. For instance, San Francisco. There's all this tech money now that is rushing into the cannabis space. You'd mm-hmm. feel like there's a partnership that you could make across the American, across the, the, uh, the, the gap to America. And that's one probably you could get the Trump administration on board with too, honestly, because they probably. like dollars and cents, like they yeah, anything yeah. that's going to make money, yeah. you can yeah. probably get them excited about. So yeah. like, but I see that is a, you think that that's like an institutional issue. Well, I think it's um, a cultural
1: issue also. I think, you know, oddly enough, despite the fact that they're, um, you know, like we like when I think of Che Guevara, I think of like some hippie in a Che Guevara T-shirt. Like that's that's who I think of as the the super fans of this particular philosophy. Um, but culturally, they're they're quite conservative and traditional. They're not, uh, you know, they just they just did made a new constitution last year, and there was a big thing: are they going to legalize gay marriage? And they decided not to. Um,
0: I did not know that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's not, they're not as like freewheeling as you might think they are, which partly is because the, so this is, there's a generational thing like we have. So they're, uh, what we'd have our greatest generation is their revolutionary generation. um And they're, you know, stuffy old guys, <laughs> more or less. And that's kind of who's, still making the rules including Raul who still he's allegedly out of power but I think he still uh, has quite a bit of say so in what goes on so anyway it's I mean I the fact of the matter though when it comes down to it is we don't get to as Americans tell other people how they're going to be governed that is not our right for the
0: folks in the back
1: I know we (laughs) we seem to think that this is our right like we get to tell we get to throw all the coups, and we get to we get to install all the leaders. No, we don't actually get to do that, and I think a big part of our resistance to trading with Cuba is just good old-fashioned, we're pissed that they uh have not succumbed to our multiple and sometimes quite brutal attempts to overthrow their regime they you know they're like no we're we're good.
0: You, you're absolutely right that there are still and I, I think to some degree that leadership is still in place on both sides of this divide mm-hmm. in, in the mm-hmm. Cuban government as well, but less so mm-hmm. I think there than in the American government. There is still a layer of bureaucracy, both in the legislative branch as well as the, the actual bureaucracy of, of the executive that remembers when these were the bad guys mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. the fact that they never got beaten in a clear way this is sort of like well okay well we we you know we took the loss with vietnam we're not going (laughs) to do it here too you know right uh and you're not going to make us you're not going to make us and and so my question is this you know a lot of times you and i both live in louisiana and we've talked individually i think we've talked a little bit on this show like will the next generation stick around long enough to make a change for this state. Can can we hang on to the beautiful cultural, um, you know, quilt that we have here and move ourselves forward into a better economic situation so that we can be sustainable long term here? And my children's children can be Louisianians if they want to be, et cetera, et cetera. What about Cuba? Is that Cuba's happening in Cuba? Ex- are these millennials to the gonna stay? No. Um
1: no. some will. You know, there's some there there is a lot of a lot of pride in the country, but uh no, it's it's almost kind of a given that most people are going to leave. And, you know, when we first went into the church, it was like, oh, all old ladies, just like our church. No, as it turns out, it's just all old ladies <laughs> like everywhere. Um, cause young people leave. And it's you know, the the moms come to terms with the fact that their kids will probably leave because there are no opportunities. And the fact that their education system, their educational system is so good is actually a little bit of a, um, it's almost, I don't know exactly how to say this without sounding horrible. Um, but if it was
0: worse, more people would stay.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So people have these educations and they're like, oh yeah, well I have a master's degree in, uh, chemical engineering. What do I do? Nothing, cuz there are no jobs and there is nothing to do. So they leave. Um so it's it's a little different from Louisiana in that regard, uh but but it is a real problem. You have this this highly educated young workforce that just goes to Western Africa or Europe or sometimes the states or Canada or um Mexico, Brazil, there's a diaspora and Um, you know, I think, I think they, the thing about Cuba though, is they love it. They love Cuba, which of course they do. It's amazing. So you see them leave and every one of them leaves with a broken heart, I think. And, but what choice do they have? You know?
0: Um, so. The, the interesting thing to me is, will it be, you know, in, in 50 years, a hundred years, will we be talking about an international, um, impact on the culture for the Cuban diaspora, like we do currently for the Irish diaspora. That's what I was mm, just thinking of. Interesting. You know, the, interesting. The, the, um, the Irish people were subjected through famine to a very similar mm-hmm. situation and were mm-hmm. cast about the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Irish, like, you know, I wanted to, I almost said race. It's not a race, but the Irish nationality, the Irish you know, um, identity is mm-hmm. much larger than the island itself has ever been. Uh, and I think in some ways, Cuba might end up in that exact same position.
1: And you see some of that already. I mean, if you've been to Miami, it's... it's Yeah. oh, It's, <laughs> it's, it's as Cuban Cuba as Cuba. Yeah, 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 it totally is. Um, and what's interesting, there is an interesting thing, which is that the... So Cubans feel the same way about their Floridian relatives (laughs) that all of us do about Florida. (laughs) They, um, they, they, there's a real recognition that, um, that Cuban Americans in Miami and their voting habits are largely to blame for misery in Cuba, which is a dichotomy that people have a really hard time understanding. I have a hard time understanding it. Um, These same relatives who send remittances uh, also vote largely for Republicans. Um, Democrats are convinced, I think, that they can win. You know, the Electoral College is largely at play here. Democrats are convinced that they can win the hearts and minds of these, whatever, 50,000 Miami Cubans and solidly win Florida. So Democrats have been tough on Cuba for no apparent reason. Um, it's, uh, It's a weird thing. It's a weird thing.
0: Well, it's it's strange to have – I mean, America is unique in the world in, for lots of reasons. But in particular, we're unique because of our borders, the fact that we only really share borders with two countries. And because of that, we've had this historical – insulation from any interaction every every other country in the world has lots of long strange tangled history with its neighboring Mm -hmm. countries right Mm -hmm. america just doesn't we because the other the countries beside us first of all canada was a commonwealth and and just a a a territory of of uh, great britain for a large part of our history until we were sort of both settled reliable neighbors, and Mexico was such an inferior power once its independence was gained that it wasn't really an issue. Cuba is unique in that they are incredibly close, and yet because of this history with the Soviet government, we have them as a perceived, if not actual, you know, uh, nemesis, (laughs) like an actual villain right here on our borders.
1: And we... We, um, it's just so, part of the thing that's so fascinating to me is that we are fully willing to trade with Saudi Arabia, who dismembers journalists, and is causing a literal, uh, a literal genocide in Yemen right now. Um, We're fully, there are really bad guys who we, and we have babies in cages, for Christ's sake. (laughs) I mean, there are literally kids dying in government custody in the U.S. right now, so so anybody who's sitting at home saying, "Yeah, well, the Cuban government is bad," like save it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, save it.
0: I, the hypocrisy is thick, my friend. Ooh. So what does? Well, first of all, I'll I will say this. Um, other than the long-standing relationship that your church had with this community and and church specifically, was there anything about Cuba in particular that excited you or drew you to this? to get involved with this project? I mean, there's lots of projects at your church. I imagine you could get involved in. Yeah. You got yeah. a kid, you got a job. There's all sorts of things for you to do. do. Uh, yes. Why, why put your time and effort and treasure into this one?
1: Uh, that's a good question. Um, I have been fascinated by Cuba for a long time. Cause I, I really love music and international music and Cuban music is really amazing. Um, I also have been fascinated for quite a while with the, the fact that new orleans and cuba were tightly connected for centuries and then just suddenly that door slammed and it's really interesting i one of my favorite books about louisiana is ned sublette's book uh the world that made new orleans um it's just a really great book about the sort of context of how of like what was happening in the world as new orleans started to exist and um and the early years and what trading looked like and what, uh, you know, extreme, very detailed specifics of, of the history of enslaved people in New Orleans and where they came from and, um, and just, it's just really interesting. But it's hugely about Cuba, as it turns out, because New Orleans and Cuba, there used to be, there literally used to be, before they invented shipping containers, like that you'd pick up off a ship with a crane. Um, there were trains and the train tracks ran right up to the edge of the wharf in New Orleans and you'd drive the train on and then they'd go to Havana where there was another set of train tracks and they'd drive the train off. And there are still old trains like rusting in Cuba that say, you know, New Orleans on them. So I'm fascinated by this, this interaction between New Orleans and, and, and Louisiana in general, the, the Gulf coast of Louisiana and Cuba and what it means to just slam a door like that on two places that both have suffered pretty significantly since that door was slammed.
0: And the link for that book, by the way, is in the show notes. I just went and saved that my, uh, myself so that I could, uh, get a copy of it later. That sounds like a really good. So
1: good. It's really fascinating. It's just, and it's just really well-written and fun to read and, um, lots of like, Oh, that's why kind of moments.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What, uh, What would you say to someone that says, okay, I also have an interest in Cuba for whatever particular reason in my own life. This sounds like the kind of thing, you know, sometimes the spirit just speaks to you, right? Like Mm -hmm. sometimes the the guy on the street corner asks for some change and it doesn't speak to you that day or you don't have Mm -hmm. the change. Sometimes you hear the ask and you think this is a thing that I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. If you're hearing that as uh, you're hearing about Megan uh, talk about this, Megan, what, what is a way for them to get involved, uh, particularly if they wanted to spearhead an effort from their church or their community or their organization?
1: Well, I cannot highly enough recommend the Living Waters for the World organization. Um, I think we can probably put the link to them in the show notes. Um, they are an organization that basically uh, – developed a system to build water purification systems essentially out of hot tub parts, um, more or less. Um, So, and has developed this sort of modular system and a similarly modular curriculum for teaching people how and when to use the water because when you have a limited water supply, you need to make sure you're using it to actually... um, maximize the health benefits of purified water. They have installations throughout the world, um, lots in Central America, uh, and then also in Cuba, uh, West Africa. um, But your church can totally do this. If our teeny tiny little Presbyterian church, I mean, we have like 100 members and not much money. If we can do it, you can do it. Um, You know, they will help you hook up with a sibling church and make it happen. So, strongly recommend looking into Living Waters for the World. Um, And if you, even if you don't want to, don't want to do all that, it's a worthy organization to, to support. So, if you're looking for a Facebook birthday fundraiser or something, they do, they do a really good, they've done a really good job. um, And I think we'll probably have a show about this at some point, but just sort of rethinking mission to make it more partnership focused and less uh, helicoptery and toxic and, um, you know it's it's good, it's good,
0: and the link for that is in the show notes now as well um yeah absolutely and 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 right, like you don't have to uh hop the plane and run down to uh, Cuba uh, like, uh, <laughs> like Like <laughs> totally do it. Did If you're not quite that adventurous <laughs> uh, But yeah There are lots of ways To get involved um, Right there From where you're sitting um, Very very cool organization w- Wonderful trip So okay Never mind uh, Jesus Never mind ministry Never mind uh, uh, Clean water what was the coolest individual personal memory that you had on the trip? Like, I know one Ooh. thing that I really appreciate you, by the way, is that you you weren't on an Instagram vacation, right? Like, there no, was not no. a lot of posting. You said yeah, you mentioned yeah. the internet's not great, but I think you also didn't. It's not like you're down there taking selfies. That's not what you're right, down right. there for. Right, right. I
1: have a, I have a sort of, I cringe at uh, mission trips that seem to be selfie focused rather than partnership focused. I mean, I cringe at sort of mission trips in general because think that a lot of us even in the mainline have defaulted to think oh mission trips good when in reality it's like oh mission trips potentially extremely toxic and damaging and (laughs) not at all beneficial um so i think it's really important to be mindful of mission and again we'll, we'll we can do a whole probably 50 episodes on that really um but uh yes so i let's see what was my favorite goodness i just love it there um the fruit can that be my favorite <laughs>
0: you, no absolutely it can't no so, so you... i mean
1: other than the people like i love the people there i love every silly thing uh I, and i think um i think it's worth mentioning like these people it's not like they're like third world s- sad tragic people from a from a christian charity commercial um because i'm not even sure that those people exist i think people everywhere in the world are people and uh and are smart and have agency and have stories and um but yeah our our uh our friends at our sister church the water team includes a botany professor a chemical engineer an economist um a medical doctor a an electrician and, I mean, it's basically all these educated people who just are sort of victims of global, you know, of geopolitics, um, but who are, like, ready to, to, you know, throw down for their community and, and go to bat for their siblings. So, it's pretty amazing. Just kind of – and it's amazing to just, you know, from a, from a religious perspective to – to really kind of get that Matthew 25 feeling like, like, oh, this is what it means to give, to really give, like to give out of poverty is a very different thing. Um, I'd say it was a pretty solid lesson in, I mean, it, it was actually a direct lesson in liberation theology because they talk about it a lot um, and are well read on the liberation theologians. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing.
0: I, I, um, hundred percent agree. I, let me tell you how amazing it is, Megan. I've got a warm, fuzzy feeling from listening to you talk about, it. How about that. So there you go. We, you know, you've done something right good. Uh, when you can I'm make somebody processing. else feel good. I'm
1: like totally processing live and in real time on air here.
0: So. Well, no, th- and that's what, that's what we wanted to do. <laughs> uh, part of this yeah. part of what we wanted to do. And I got to tell you, like. You talk about like getting that, getting that activation feeling, that activate that mm-hmm. activated part of Christianity. We talked uh, mm-hmm. in previous episodes about the, you know, like the living, moving God. Well, mm-hmm. this is the living, moving Christianity. Like mm-hmm. the the sitting and the pondering, uh, who God is and and what uh, he or she wants from us is one thing. Theology, mm-hmm. theoretical uh, consideration of the, you know, ways of the universe. That's part of what we do. Sure. This is I think a bigger part of it. I um, think so. And I think I, it's
1: really the whole point. I mean <laughs> I I also I love, you know, the philosophizing and all that, but but the times that I've really felt the presence of a living God have never been among a stack of books.
0: Well, and it, I it, love uh, stacks of
1: books. Don't get me wrong. I love them.
0: But, it will fix a lot of angst in your local congregation too. Let me tell you I, I don't want to get into specifics, but there were rumbles, there were issues, there was mm-hmm. you know, some discomfort and some hurt feelings in my own church. A little tornado came through. Yeah. Everybody suddenly. got out in their yards and started helping their neighbor. Yeah. And thinking about the people we could have lost, the homes and memories that we have lost, and little personal squabbles sort of fall away, uh, and you remember how much you love that brother or sister in Christ, and it it changes a lot of uh, hearts and minds. I know it did locally. It absolutely. It's almost did like locally. Jesus
1: was right about the whole thing with the
0: community building.
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm just putting that out there. It's almost like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh it's so close alright uh, oh. let's wrap up for this week if you have yes, uh, something to offer if you have a topic that you'd like us to consider or something you can find us on twitter of course uh, backslide to glory uh, you can also email us backsliding to glory at com anytime uh, Megan where can they find you on twitter
1: uh, at Megan Romer uh, M-E-G-A-N-R-O-M-E-R.
0: And, yes and you can find me at the rogues life on twitter uh, and uh, yeah You can find all of our episodes at backslidingtoglory.com. Until next week, we have been your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Megan. And we are Backsliding to Glory. If you know someone who would enjoy Backsliding to Glory, please share the show with them today. And send us your comments and feedback. Backsliding to glory at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, backslide to glory.